Hi there, it's Joy Foster, founder of Tech Pixies, and you're listening to the Spark on Thrive podcast. You might be also watching this as it drops onto our social media feeds. I am delighted today to be joined by Sahar Hashemi, who is the co-founder of Coffee Republic. And this is a perfect person to talk to in our Playing Big series. She's written a couple of books, and she's very well known in the the more corporate scene and the startup scene, but for helping corporates stay in that startup mode as well. So Sahar, I'm so excited you're here. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. I cannot wait to tell your story. Um, it's my complete pleasure, Joy. You and I have had some great conversations, so I'm looking forward to doing this with you. So let's let's talk about where this all started, um, how you got this idea. I, I read up on you before the interview, but it's such an intriguing story. So I'd love for you to tell it. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I suppose I call myself really the accidental entrepreneur in a way, um, because, you know, I never thought I was an entrepreneur. I just kind of, it was just something which when I was growing up, um, there were no role models for entrepreneurship really. So it seemed like the sort of stuff that, you know, left field people do, you know, the ones who are kind of more, you know, the ones that sort of don't fit in in a way, the ones that are the school dropouts, the creative artistic kind, the kind of, you know, the adventurous risk takers. And um, I was none of those. So um, it was definitely, and I, you know, I was sort of brought up in the eighties and really apart from Richard Branson, there, there, there was no one else to look at or there was no other example. So I never thought entrepreneurship was, remotely an option for me and um, so I went and I studied law and I became a lawyer and I joined the law firm for five years and um, just sort of suddenly something happened Joy that I was like just this sort of feels like you know I used to love it when I was training but as soon as I qualified um, kind of the excitement went in a way and I just remember sort of um, I almost started dreading going to work and this idea of actually dreading going to work I thought well if you know, I'm still in my twenties and this is gonna be a lifetime, this is not a good way to live my life. Um, and it was really that sort of question that came to me was, is there, are there people that actually love what they do? Um, is there a way of actually loving what you do? And, and I don't know where that came, that actually questioning the fact that, um, you know, work is not the opposite of life. And I wanna do something that I'm really thriving in it. And, and I just remember when I was training um, in the law firm, I used to move around departments and go around to client meetings and I loved it. And suddenly when that stopped um, was this realization that there's gotta be more and I'm not sure what more was really. So, um, uh, but you know, I had no idea there was, there was no other dream really. Um, but I thought actually maybe if I, if I become an in-house lawyer for a big company, that might be a solution. And um, uh, you know, I sort of did a lot of interviews to join fun companies to be their in-house lawyer. I applied for a lot of entertainment companies. I applied, I remember for um, like Quaker Oats, you know, I thought maybe I love consumer products. I can be their in-house lawyer. And I got rejection after rejection. I just, no one wanted me to be their in-house lawyer. And to be honest, I had a really good CV. That was really extraordinary. And I worked for like a great firm, but it was just, no one wanted me to, to hire me as in-house lawyer. Um, and I just remember I, I sort of, um, I, you know, my dad died and that was a bit of a kind of you know sort of shock and a bit of a like a I suppose you know pulling you out of your comfort zone and I actually thought you know what like instead of sitting in this law firm waiting to get a job you know I'd never taken a gap year let me just go traveling for a bit um really to get over my dad dying and um really I went on on a sort of trip to South America that I'd never done before um and it was really only sort of on the way back when I stopped off in New York and um 
one jet lag morning, I saw these new style coffee bars that I'd seen in New York, which is way before Starbucks. It was sort of the days of, um, you know, it was called New World Coffee. So Starbucks hadn't even come to New York. That was when I sort of really got the idea, the first um, light bulb for starting um, Coffee Republic. That is amazing. And I, I just, I think about so many parallels. Um, in this series, we're interviewing people from different backgrounds and different startup points and everything else. But it does happen very often where there is something that happens in someone's life and that sets off a trajectory. Uh, I know for me, you know, my dad dying when I was 21 had a huge impact on the risks I started taking, you know, I suddenly saw life as short and I was not, I was like you, I was sitting in an office doing a job that I was not excited about. And I thought I've got to do something better with my life. I've only got one of these, you know? Oh, how it just exactly what, that is exactly the realization for me that if life is so short and almost if that sort of comfort zone is an illusion, because then you sort of realize actually, what was I holding on to? And I think when things like that happen to you at quite a young age and you realize just, you know, your, your life could be disrupted so quickly, I suppose it makes you a tiny bit braver, I think, in, in a bizarre way, because there's nothing to hold on to because what you were holding on to was just destroyed in a way. And I think, um, yeah, how interesting that you had the, the same sort of catalyst, you know, however unfortunate it, it is a sort of, you know, they, there's a, they say, um, Joy, that adversity breeds creativity. I think maybe that's the angle. Well, it's so true. And in speaking to different people, you know, things like travel can really stimulate the creativity as well and put you out of your comfort zone and help you to, you know, get into a place where, like you said, your creativity is ignited. And I think that's so, so important to do. And, you know, unfortunately for some people, it happens without their choice. And I think that's where people have to say, okay, how am I going to handle this situation? How am I going to move forwards? And I do think that when I've interviewed people who have been able to come back from adversity and play big, they almost play bigger because they know it's at stake. You know, they know that life is at stake, that this is, Absolutely. this is the game of life that we're playing. And, and now we're awake to playing it, right? Absolutely, 100%. So talk about how you got started in the coffee business. What was that like? Were you, I, I read somewhere you were doing everything from, you know, making the coffee to buying the cups to, you know, doing the bookkeeping in the early days, all those things. So what's it like when you're doing all those things and trying to juggle? When did you know you needed to uh, get additional help and support? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, very much, um, it's a, which is why I thought I wrote Anyone Can Do It, my book about the whole journey was, um, you know, it was just like literally idea, how do you make the idea happen, you write a business plan for it, um, you know, it was almost like, you know, I write a to-do list to start a business, and I had no idea, and kind of this idea, my brother taught me a lot of these things, like critical path analysis, and critical path analysis is a really complicated name for something really simple, which means basically, like an entire list to get you from the idea to actually a store that's open. And once you get used to doing that, and I think us women are really great at list building, because you know, we make lists for everything in life. When we go on holiday, we want to buy a new house, we want to decorate a house, when we've got like a child's birthday party. And this list was literally like, find a site. Um, it's in my book, like find a site, find employees, like find a brand, find a name. And you know, and literally my life for one year was going through a list. And that's really why I believe, um, you know, people think starting businesses is enormous leap, whereas it's actually something rather mundane of reducing it to a very simple list that you can call a to-do list or a critical path analysis and just going through it one by one. And 
you know, in this list, it was like, okay, let me talk to a coffee supplier, let me find coffee cups, let me find the site. And, you know, little that I know, you know, ticking off little items on my to-do list, one year later, after I returned from New York, um, having fallen in love with these new style coffee bars, you know, we had a kind of full-on, you know, open coffee bar. Um, and, and, you know, it takes a lot of kind of resourcefulness that I think women are really good at, which is why I think women make amazing entrepreneurs. Um, and we opened the door to the first, the UK's first coffee bar, and um, it no one came in. So, you know, that's a bit of a shock because everyone thinks it was like an overnight success. Well, it was an overnight success. Um, my motto in life is actually it takes 20 years, 15 years to become an overnight success. And people forget to tell you about the kind of hard slog, really. So, you know, in a world where we have 22,000 coffee bars, when you open the first coffee bar, no one comes in. So this idea that people think they've got to start a business and it's wow, um, is just so wrong because it puts people off and um, you've got too much expectation. And um, in a way, you know, no one came in, Joe. And it was very difficult because, you know, we left our jobs. My brother was a banker. I was a lawyer. And just, you know, betting on, you know, a nation of tea drinkers drinking coffee. But, um, you know, we believed in ourselves. We were customers ourselves. And um, slowly people cottoned onto it as well. And, you know, they, they, they started drinking skinny lattes or vanilla macchiatos or whatever they liked. And, um, and we grew it like that very much. You know, this is something which I can't, can't have to remind myself every time I do something new that it's not gonna be instant. And we have this expectation of things being instant because I think we read a lot about people and especially now with social media, we're much more exposed to other people's stories. And, um, you know, often the stories don't really go through the hardships. They might sort of pay lip service to them, but it sort of somehow makes it seem like everyone had it easy and only we have it hard. Um, and I think um, it's so easy to forget that. And it's so easy to feel sort of victimized and poor me and it's too much for me. And, um, and I think um, and women, especially, we're, we're sort of slightly um, susceptible to, to that sort of thinking. Um, and it's really important to kind of know that for everyone, you know, it's a struggle. Everyone's got those really dark days when you've got something new and you've launched it and you're super excited about it. But other people aren't. Um, that's because they just haven't had time to think about it. You know, it's your baby. You've thought about it. You've researched it. You've convinced yourself. But you can't expect anyone else to go, wow. Um, because they're not. Because it's just, you know, if they've had a bad day or they haven't had time to think about it or their brain doesn't work that way or, you know, just it just doesn't mean anything. And it's just sort of remembering that, I think, is absolutely really important um, when you're starting something new or a new project. I think you're right. And it's difficult sometimes to have a clear vision of where you're going, but if you can see the steps ahead of you, that's what I loved about what you said with the lists, you know, to, to break it down, you know, okay, here's what I want to, here's what I want to be in a year. What are all the things I need to do to get there and really breaking it down into smaller chunks so that, you know, you're sitting down, you're going, okay, I'm going to do this one thing. And that's going to get me one step closer. I mean, the idea of, of the power of small is absolutely dynamite, I think. And so many people I meet, you know, have got big ideas. And, you know, just, and we're sort of meant to think that big ideas are good and you know, small ideas are bad and we've got to think big. But, you know, it's OK to think big, but you've got to start small. And the problem with thinking too big is that it actually stops you thinking because it's actually impossible to think big and start big because it's actually physically impossible. Like, you know, you can't open a nationwide chain of coffee bars. It's just physically impossible. So if, if your mind is set on that, then you might as well forget about it and you become one of those many people who had a great idea and someone else ends up starting it. So life is really about, about actually starting it and starting it in the most imperfect, awful, embarrassing way. But that's just the only way. That is so true. And I just laugh so much at the very first 
cohort that we ran of Tech Pixies where we were in a church hall. There was no curriculum. We had no online learning whatsoever. It was literally me in a room dumping my brain for four hours for five months once a week. And yeah. then at the end of it, I said to them, there you go. You know everything I know. Exactly. <laughs> it was messy. Yeah. Exactly. And you're not thinking too much. And, you know, kind of, you know, it's good to have business plans in terms of, you know, a, a general direction but there's just there's the power in starting and therefore the power in small because you actually cannot start until you start small I know I'm yeah I love that I love that to play big you got to start small and that's yeah. that's that concept of what are the things I need to do to move forwards and not and not getting overwhelmed by the big picture because you're right you will get overwhelmed if you look at where you are compared to where you want to be. But if you look at the steps in between and say, okay, what can I do right now? That makes a huge difference. Talk to me about how you got people to come in when no one came into your coffee bar. Oh my God. Like, so we did everything. So basically, I mean, I was sitting there with my brother there every single day thinking like, why are they going past? Why are they going to all these old star sandwich bars and getting a polystyrene cup? So I remember we had, um, you know, we started you know, doing loyalty cards. And um, I remember no one in the UK did loyalty cards at that time. And I'd seen it from America. I brought the stamps, the, the sort of stamp things back. And I remember I couldn't actually find stamps for the loyalty cards in the UK to stamp each box in a way. So I remember going to like a kid's thing, right? You know, kids have little like stamp tattoos. And I got one of those and that just became yeah, the stamp we use. So it was, it was very much... Um, you know, real, what I call bootstrapping, which is, means making two plus two equal five. You know, I used to get like our first two employees out on the street sampling, you know, all the drinks so they can taste of in the latte when it got a bit warmer so they can taste an ice drink. So it was just sort of, you know, I remember going to London Fashion Week, set up, setting up a coffee machine myself there and making coffee for all these fashion editors so that they would actually write to us for the magazines for us to get press. So for, my, for me, marketing is almost like a machine gun approach. You've got to hit a hundred things and hope out of a hundred ways you try, be it free delivery. We used to have coffee delivery, which actually coffee delivery is a bit of a nightmare because when a company orders like 14 cappuccinos, it's pretty difficult to get it done in time and send it and for it to be warm. So, but you know, whatever it takes to get movement and traction. And, you know, I see that often, you know, like along um, with sort of where we live, our neighborhood places, whatever somewhere new opens, and they're sort of waiting for people to come in. I'm like, it's not going to work. But when I know they're out there getting the balloons out, getting activity, you need to get like new energy around a new startup because it's got no energy. It's got it's in stagnation. It's like an inertia. And it's really important to kind of like fluff up stuff however way you can until it gets going. That reminds me so much when in the early days of Tech Pixies, Juliet and I, when we, you're right, you know, you just try everything and, you know, and when we expanded, we didn't really expand the way we should have so we sort of just picked a town and said okay let's expand to that town and it wasn't a very convenient town and there weren't that many people in it and I remember we we drove there and we were doing all these taster sessions and we were gonna lock and it was just I remember we were kind of driving back together we were going that was hard work for like five people you know <laughs> and I and then we realized that our our plan of our expansion plan and I say that very much in inverted commas our our expansion plan was not the right expansion plan and we needed to, to to do it a different way but you sort of have to try it and then laugh your way through it you have to do it the wrong way first and my motto in life is anything worth doing is worth doing badly and um and i think that's just absolutely critical 
Oh, that's so good. I love that. Well, you are a huge um, advocate and very passionate about female-owned consumer-facing businesses. Tell us about how you moved from founding co-founding Coffee Republic into the work that you do today. Yeah, well, um, you know, when, when I sort of, you know, we grew Coffee Republic from that sort of initial idea, um, in five years, we grew it to 110 stores. We were a public company and um, you know, very kind of sought after in a way. It was a sudden bang, you know, very unexpected, I think. Um, and, you know, the coffee thing took off completely. And um, we were a public company and it was all about sort of exit then. So we were stupid enough at that time to sell out because we thought entrepreneurs have a sell by date. And, um, you know, it's, it's all about like how much money you make. And if you're a public company worth a lot, like, wow, success is doing a great exit and selling your company. And so 2001, like after five years, um, uh, we saw, I sold my shares in Coffee Republic and made myself sort of entirely redundant. And it was really at that time that I just realized, my God, um, well, that was a huge mistake because I absolutely loved what I did. So, um, you know, Coffee Republic was, was a part of my life. It was, it was just a great channel for, you know, everything in my life. It was just, it was not work. It was, it was much more than that. And I absolutely loved it. And I just missed it so much, Joy. I just, I, it was really left this enormous kind of void in my heart. I'm not having it. I absolutely loved it. I just, I don't know why we did it really. It was the most um, stupid thing to do really to completely um, sell and give it to kind of corporates to run. Um, and I just remember just, you know, not really feeling at a loss. And um, I just didn't want to not work. You know, it was just, it was a sort of, you know, people have this dream. And I think a lot of people in business, um, it's, you know, especially people, who listening who have their own businesses are like oh my god I can't wait to get rid of it because of course you get tired you know it, it's relentless and you've got these moments where you secretly secretly dream that you're just you know I just can't wait to just get rid of this and just set it and just do my own thing and you know I had that option to sort of go to a yoga class and to go and have lunch with girlfriends and it was absolutely awful I swear I didn't even last like five days doing it I felt so depressed um it's just being sort of purposeless and I just um, and I remember um, Julie Mayer, um, kind of a fellow entrepreneur, she said, why don't you write a book? And I just remember this idea of writing a book. I just kind of thought, write a book. You know, I can sort of hardly write a thank you letter rather than write a book to anyone. It's sort of impossible. Um, but, you know, um, that's why I, I bought this great book from Amazon called How to Write a Nonfiction Bestseller, literally by Susan Page. And um, I was like, okay, I, you know, I, I'll write a book. And then September the 11th happened. And that was like a shock for everyone. And sort of, it was almost a good time for me. To, I kind of closed the door. And in a funny way, I spent nine months writing um, Anyone Can Do It because it was that time where we used to fax stuff um, between my brother and I when we were traveling. So we had a lot of like actually physical like mementos of what we'd done. And, and at that time, I hadn't thrown everything away yet. So for nine months, I actually went back on this journey of five years. And it was enormously cathartic to see what happened. What did we do? Like, what was that? And I realized actually, you know, there was a pattern to it that it wasn't just random. It was, there was a pattern to idea to make it happen. And it was a series of steps. And then I ended up reading all these books on entrepreneurship. And I realized actually entrepreneurship is a series of steps. Either way, I was lucky because my brother had been to business school. So he took me through those steps. But then I realized actually maybe the best way is to sort of do this half story, half kind of business book whereby through telling our story, I show people, listen, this, this is how you start. And it's just really simple. And it's not about a special chromosome or it's just about like, you know, it, it kind of almost entrepreneurship is a process that anyone can follow um, and anyone can do, which is why um, I called it anyone can do it. So 
that really was really what I believe in that anyone could do it. And if I did it, anyone can do it. And it's not a magic some creative people have. It's just a question of just ba your basic thought from the to-do list and sort of make it happen. And um, I'm really you know, thinking about that um, very much. I think a lot of those qualities of entrepreneurship are qualities that innately women have. And you, know, you can argue that obviously the sort of of the gender, you know, kind of their quality, you know, there's some men, it's not that fixed, it's not that binary. But I think in terms of the resourcefulness, I think that women have is huge. I think um, the fact that women are consumers, you know, the consumer economy is female, the fact that, um, you know, we chat, you know, it's the ultimate in networking, um, you know, a lot of those things, but especially the sort of multitasking resourcefulness of women, I think makes women absolutely extraordinary entrepreneurs. Um, because we can do a zillion things at the same time. And that's really what entrepreneurship is, being chief cook, bottle washer, everything at the same time. And so I really believe in it um, because, you know, I didn't believe in myself as an entrepreneur. And so um, women entrepreneurs are really my um, passion, as you know, because I think um, they accomplish the most extraordinary things. Um, and yet we don't talk about it enough. And um, and women just, just, you know, it's just entrepreneurship in a way is the sort of made for women. It's kind of, you know, it's the untapped advantage women have and we're not using it enough so um i suppose that's um my next mission really as well yeah i totally agree with you women are made for entrepreneurship and it's just getting them to think about it in a way that works for them and their families and also helps them to like you said take those big steps break them down into small ones and move forwards i mean there's quite a few vocal entrepreneurs in the uk at the moment uh, Lisa Johnson, Holly Tucker, you know, women who are really trying to encourage other women to to play bigger than what they're playing now to to build a business that they love that works around their families. Um, and you ha have seen firsthand through the work that you're doing, many, many women who are uh, leaning into their own businesses. And what you can see with those women is potential that they might not see with themselves. And uh, that's what I find super fascinating. How do women find out about the work that you're doing now? And tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, well, funny story. I haven't actually launched it yet, because would you believe I'm kind of not preaching what I say myself, but it keeps mutating. But I, you know, I can I can sort of say, as you know, it's called Buy Women Built, and um, exactly unlike what what Holly is doing, because I think there's so much wonderful support actually out there for the female entrepreneurs, from um, you know the kind of um, Holly and Co to you know every woman to there's a lot of organisations to get support. Um, is uh, you know I find consumers aren't really that aware of the female built businesses, and we've got to get a kind of consumer movement behind it. And um, I've been compiling a list of um, our sort of top 150 consumer facing businesses. And it's incredible, you know, there are so many businesses even I didn't know are, um, are women built. And just going through that, enjoy um, reading the stories, I kind of find, you know, there is definitely a theme because a lot of women start businesses coming from an unmet need. You know, they're looking for something in their own lives, they couldn't find it. And that was the genesis of the business idea. And it's really the most sort of simple things. You read it from you know, someone who's 50 and is worried about aging and discovers collagen to someone else who finds something for like childcare to someone else who has a specific diet need. And it's just seeing how much women are really disrupting and doing these sort of game-changing disruptions really based on the sort of fundamental fact that they just look at their own lives and see what's missing. And this is what gives us the real, it's that sort of, because that gives you empathy with customers. And through my corporate work, I work a lot with big organizations and they try, they're trying to sort of bottle empathy, you know, as a big organization, how can we have empathy for our customers? 
And it's just something that women have got in droves because they are customers themselves. So they put themselves already in customerships and see everything through the lens of the customer. So this gives women incredible insight, which is why women are you know, disrupting this field and are behind some of the most innovative businesses we have, consumer businesses. So um, it's an incredible list and I, I can't wait to publish that list. Um, and I wanted to shout it from the rooftops, really. Um, you've been enormously helpful to me on how to, I shout it from the rooftops, but I think you just, we've all got to find out about these businesses and every single person has got to know about them. And especially the sort of eight-year-old girl wandering the aisles of the supermarket with her mother, who, you know, is maybe not getting those positive messages around female entrepreneurship, maybe is, is hearing too much about, you know, what the, the funding gap and what women can't get and, you know, however great a lot of these movements have been, you know, starting from the Me Too and working upwards, it, it's time to actually say, do you know what, look how much women have accomplished. And, you know, if you can see this, you can be it too. So um, that's what I hope to do. That's, that's my um, next sort of big, in a way, coming out of COVID project that I have to implement, Joy, because it's not about talking about it, but implementing it, as I say to everyone. So, Well, I always say inaction is the death of dreams, you know, so this concept that if you don't take action, the only option is to, you know, the death of that dream. And sometimes it's okay. Sometimes you go, you know what, this is not what I want to do anymore. And I want to change well, tech. Exactly. It's also, that's right. Because people often say, you know, does one have to be sort of talking about it? And actually, no, sometimes it's okay to realize, but unless you take those extra, unless you go forward with it, unless you run with it, because you've got to think of idea, I think like a baton in a, in a, in a race. So it's like the idea just giving you, but you've got to start on the race. And then if you see, actually, you know what, this might not be the right thing, then that's completely fine, but you've got to start and then you'll know. Yeah. I think that's such great advice. And I love, I so love what you said, take what you want to do, just write the list out and break it into small chunks. And I'm a huge fan of the big three, you know, so if I've got a hundred things to do, okay, how do we do that three a day? And so over a period of 30 days, you've got 90, you know, 90 of those things done. Of course, I'm, my math, 30 times, I think I'm right, three times, three times 30, yeah, something like that. But my point is, is that, you know, before you know it, you've, you know, a hundred tasks are done in, in, in a period of, you know, four or five weeks. And that's, that moves you forwards. And I, I also think it's really important when you're looking at the things that you're doing. I mean, one of the gifts that someone gave me was a time audit was just to say, okay, how am I spending my time? And is there someone that could be doing some of what I'm doing now? And that's when, you know, you have to get your brave pants on and then start hiring people and bring people on to support you um, either, either in a volunteer capacity or in a, you know, in a paid capacity. But I think, you know, I do think that when you do lean into a big dream, you, you do have to bring people along with you. It's very hard to do to play big as a single person uh, without a team around you. And I, I do think that's very, very important, but the idea can spark with you and the dream can start with you, but um, to, to really make it all come together, you, you do need to rely on other people. And I think that's been one of the gifts I think that I've had over the years is just knowing that I, A, I didn't want to do it alone and B, I, I, I think I would do things better with other people. So that's why I made an effort to surround myself. And I, I think a lot of female founders wait too long to do that. So, um, you know, I love that you built your business with your brother and that you built out the team to help you and support you as well. And now in this new venture, you know, it'll be exciting to see how you work with other people on that. But I think what you're doing is very important to highlight what 
what products people are buying that are built by female business owners. Yeah. And it's amazing that we don't know it, you know, and kind of confidence, you know, is one of the huge barriers that came out in the Rose Review that we, you know, women don't somehow are actually, you know, think they can't do it. You know, so it's like sort of, they've got much less confidence than men. And for God's sake, like that is really time to change that because women have every reason to be super confident about their abilities because you know their level of empathy, their resourcefulness. I mean, they're sort of made for entrepreneurship, really. So um, yeah, so so that's so that's exciting as well. Oh, well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate that we've been able to grab you on a very for those of you who are not aware, we're filming this on a very hot day. <laughs> and everyone's in very hot homes but I so appreciate you being here I appreciate your advice uh, and your empathy and your care for other women in entrepreneurship and I knew when I met you um, that I would really just enjoy getting to know you because you have an extraordinary way of looking at things and moving things forward so uh, thank you for the time you've given us today on the podcast and I'm sure it's inspired a few people at least if anything, to go write that list and start ticking things exactly. off and like start, starting, however, in, in whatever way that is. Lovely. Yeah. I love speaking to you as well. Thank you. Bye, bye, bye.